This is an ABC podcast. Constant bad news can activate a primal threat response, an old fight, flight or freeze response within us, through which people start believing with constant bad news that their world is unsafe and so they need to expect the worst. And we really need to ask questions like, do I think this is news that my child needs to know or understand? And in answering that question, we need to check in with ourselves about what we want our children to experience or what we think we need them to experience. Have you noticed when you scroll through the news, it can feel like the only things being reported on are terrible, depressing and often distressing. And then it can be hard to turn away from the churn of bad news, can't it? Especially when it's available on every device 24-7. I'm a child of the 1960s when radio was our main avenue for news and international news could be months after the event. Now we can see and hear it as it happens. So if seeing all that grim news is bad for us adults... Is there a good time to watch or listen to news when you're around your kids? And if they're upset by what they see, when and how can you talk to them about the issues that impact the world around them? Whether it's conflict climate change or COVID, the world can appear to be an unhappy place through a media lens. So what are some of the ways you can help your child engage meaningfully in the news cycle while making peace with all the things that they cannot change? Sean Panambalana is a psychologist who works with children and adolescents, utilising mindfulness-based cognitive therapy His background also includes working with refugee children who have experienced war-related trauma. Sean, in the churn of the 24-7 news cycle, we hear all about the pain on the planet. How much bad or frightening news should we share with our kids? Yeah, absolutely, Maggie. There's an incredible amount of upheaval apparent in our world. We get a constant news feed about all kinds of threats, existential or otherwise. Um, and I think that's, yeah, debilitating for adults and children, young people alike. We obviously recognise childhood is an incredibly important formative set of um, developmental stages. And our children do need to experience what we often describe as those carefree, um, magic, uh, wonder years. Yet I guess this is the key point. We also need to temper or balance that aspect with an awareness and an acceptance that things can and periodically will happen that children do not like like adults as well, we need to remind ourselves so we can communicate this to our children. A normal life, normal in inverted commas, is not one where the sun shines every day, everything goes to plan (laughs) and we're always happy. However, constant bad news can activate a primal threat response, an old fight, flight or freeze response within us, through which people start believing with constant bad news that their world is unsafe and so they need to expect the worst in order to prepare for it two of the most significant influences of how our children will react to bad news is how we, as their parents, are reacting to the news and, of course, how we communicate that information to them. And we really need to assess the age and temperament of the individual child, ask questions like, do I think this is news that my child needs to know or understand? And in answering 
that question, we need to check in with ourselves and in two-parent families, our partners, about what's that, what are our views, what are our beliefs, what are our concerns or approaches in this situation and in terms of what we want our children to experience or what we think we need them to experience. So is there an age where it's okay for us to perhaps show them some news and, and be a commentator with them? It, it does depend. All different ages um, have different ways of approaching uh, information. You know, life circumstances can dictate that upsetting conversations need to occur at any stage across a young person's life. Sometimes we don't have a choice. So, yes, with news we can. With other real-life situations that the children have to cope with, there are different ways of, of communicating that to young people at different times, different ages. If there's been a major, you know, bushfire or major or multiple fatality car accident, say, in your community, how does a parent sit down and break that news to the children? Because we know the most important thing is it needs to come from someone who's probably closest and safest to the child rather than a child in the playground. Can you walk us through how you would have that conversation? It would be a different conversation, obviously, with different age groups. If you do need to share information, we need to express something to them in an honest yet supportive way. Does that mean we give them all the gory details? No, we talk about a situation. I think we can talk about fire and how it's destructive and so on. Do we go into the detail of all the animals and people that got trapped? Not necessary, but we need to be honest about a destructive force that has occurred. In an age-appropriate and understandable way, we can drill down and provide more detail on that, if you like, as we go, with emphasis that the impact of this news does have limits. The fire is not two kilometres away. This is where it is. It's really important that kids know that if they hear that a plane's gone down somewhere, they hear it on the radio, younger children will automatically think, well, gosh, planes go down all the time. We need to explain to them that there are limits to this news in terms of geographical, territorial, impact-wise, and so on. And where possible, if we can have ideas about positive courses of actions that can be taken to either help the situation in the here and now, or if we can't, better cope with the distress of not being able to directly influence the situation. We all have to learn at some stage in our lives that there are things we can and cannot change. So I'm a father of a five-year-old and one of the things that I've really found helpful has been making sure our daughter is still seeing positive images of others overseas, of experiences that one day she might be able to have overseas that she can look forward to. And a big thing has actually been trying new foods and cuisines um, from other places and and reminding her that there is a world out there beyond an environment that's got a lot smaller um, during the pandemic. Last year, due to the COVID-19, we received an email from the school and they requested not to turn the TV on because we were so obsessive or just too much information about what was going on with the COVID. I didn't have any problem because we don't watch the news, but sometimes the news come through other friends or something that we cannot control. But as long as I can be involved, I try not to turn the TV on. We usually, if there's an issue on the news or an issue in the current affairs, I think it's best to explain it as openly and as candidly as possible. But if you can give them a thumbnail view of what's going on, never shy away from the thing. Don't tell them lies saying it's all all right, because there are some real problems. They have to understand the real problems. But I find it's best to explain it at the level of their understanding. A conversation with an eight-year-old about climate change is very different to a conversation with an 18-year-old. So it's really important to get that balance right. So we know that we are biologically wired to have a negative bias. It's the reason that we survive, and you've touched on that flight-fight thing before. 
What are the signs that maybe your child or your teen has developed a bit more than just a tendency and maybe they've created a pessimistic mindset rather than an optimistic one? With teenagers in particular, there's that <laughs> yes. tendency to doom scroll. And as a result of that, they can get consumed, engrossed, watching the train crash slowly. We used to talk about existential threat, um, that sense of existential crisis back in the day, that it happens particularly to sensitive human beings and, and teenagers in particular. And, and are more sensitive children a little more prone to getting stuck into the negative bias loop? Yeah, but that sensitivity we're talking about, it might enable a person to recognise layers of threat, injustice, hurt that others might not experience. It's a two-edged sword. Your sensitivity is something that is a gift because it helps you to be more compassionate, more understanding of humans. But it's also a significant burden because you will feel more. And if we can help you through that experience of feeling more and help you to not necessarily get so thick a hide that you have armour, but be sensitive enough to care, but be strong enough through that to know that all those fears, those emotions that the sensitivity bring won't destroy you, they will actually, if you learn, grow you. This might be something you're meant to go through, as distressing and upsetting and horrible as it is. I guess this is at the heart of our conversation today, Maggie, that yeah. our children need to learn how to handle this stuff on some level um, with as much support as we can give them, and they don't have to do it perfectly. They can't and we can't do this perfectly. In your counselling work, Sean, you've worked with refugee children who've experienced war-related trauma. Mm. What did that experience teach you that might help young people make sense of conflicts being played out in a world away from where they are now. So, so with these refugee kids, many of them arrived in Australia having lost just about everything and most of them experiencing what anyone else would describe as horror. But although they lost so much and arrived here with nothing, when they got here, they, they threw those fog, that fog of grief and trauma. Many of them saw so much opportunity to build a better life. So it was, it was inspirational. So there are many lessons we can take from the experience of these young refugees. And in terms of the lessons I've learned and I try and impart with the other kids. Um, what I'm about to say may be about burdening young people. It, it isn't. It's about, again, as we said earlier, recognising that there are challenges afoot out in the world. Without necessarily having to be soldiers in a war zone, we need to be able to adapt to them. We can experience terrible things and with help still find meaning and purpose. Life spark again. So it's, it's helping young people to see, understand in age-appropriate ways, get a picture of what the world is like, even if what they see is like, oh, my goodness, how the heck does this happen? I can't bloody stand it. <laughs> Not to let that defeat them, help them to experience that, feel the pain of that, adapt to that, and then march on together. I've got two little kids, a girl who's four and a boy who's two, and so far the best strategy that we've found to keep them happy and optimistic is to get them outside and playing in nature. We really notice a difference in their behaviour and their attitude. As they get older, it's going to be really important to help them just disconnect from devices, to disconnect from the news cycle and to just be able to spend time in nature. I think that's really important for kids as well as adults. My kids are 9 and 11 now 
and my stance previously was always to shelter them as much as I could. don't know what the shift was. I think it might have been when they started coming home from school, talking about all the Donald Trump stuff. We started letting both of them watch the news at night time and I found actually that there was quite a lot of benefit being able to introduce these topics early and have these discussions and being able to give some guidance. You always have to be honest with them. If they ask questions about what is happening in the world, then they deserve to have a child-friendly version of events. You can say COVID-19 is a terrible virus. It's affected a lot of people in the world, but we're very lucky in Australia. There's lots of scientists, lots of medical people helping to help keep people safe. So, Sean, how do you stay optimistic in a world of 24-7 bad news? (laughs) Look, I, I try and practice what I preach wherever possible. This is one of the biggest things we can do for our children is just to show that individuals, families, communities are, can do something and they can do something wherever possible. And if not, you can tolerate this pain. We will find a way. We'll go through it. And I think, to be honest, you know, when you ask about me in the last 20 years, like you probably, Maggie, there have been times where we've all found it very hard to be optimistic. But yes, all things, thoughts, emotions, mood states, situations are transient. And we need to use some of the strategies we've discussed within the context of the children and young people to maintain a balance, to remember there is plenty of good news out there as well. The big screen is full of what's frightening and threatening, but there is so much right here in the here and now on the small screens, you know, within each other, within our hearts, in our our day-to-day lives that we can actually immerse ourselves in, not to avoid and distract and pretend things are all hunky-dory, but to balance, to recharge, to recognise that life is about what we do here with each other in the here and now. So we need to tend to the mind, body, spirit, work-life balance, surf the ups and downs, be kinder to ourselves, very hard in our society to learn to be kind to ourselves. And yeah, for me, meditation, exercise, meaningful relationships, healthy dose of Eastern philosophy. (laughs) But above all, I'm blessed with a, you know, remarkable, loving, yeah, and inspiring family. My kids have showed amazing resilience in their own ways, going through all kinds of things. So we have a lot to learn from them. Yeah, and we're all in it together, aren't we? Yes. I think that's the thing. Uh, every family is within a neighbourhood, within the community, and we're all doing the best we can. And that, I think if there's one thing we learnt from 2020, it's that when we do reach out and we show compassion or hope or something, we can really make a difference. And I think our kids have learnt a lot, even though they've gone through a heck of a lot. I think they've also learnt a lot. So thank you, Sean, for your time. Lovely to talk to you. So here are some of my top tips for helping our kids to be optimistic in a world of 24-7 bad news. Firstly, things don't always go to plan and there's always going to be adversity for our children to adapt to. We need to prepare them to recognise that life's ups coexist with the downs. With the constant news media available anytime, it's important to ask yourself, is this news my child needs to be exposed to? or to understand. And if so, then do this in a way that's age appropriate. Teenagers can be particularly sensitive to bad news in the media. Work with them to get a realistic picture of what's happening in the wider world. A key thing to teach our children and maybe ourselves is that life is unpredictable and there are challenges that can appear that we can influence and change And there are some things we have no influence over and we cannot change. 
Gratitude and kindness are two of the best ways to build hope and optimism in our kids and ourselves. And we always need to reassure your kids that there's plenty of good news out there and go and seek it and then share it. Now, if it's all getting a bit much, you could try introducing some mindfulness exercises into your home, whether it's getting the kids settled at school, having a calm house, or getting rid of work stress. Please check out the podcast Mindfully. In Mindfully, Sydney Swans legend Brett Kirk teams up with mindfulness experts to give you tips and tricks, as well as meditations that will change you and your family's life. Close your eyes. Imagine this. It's Christmas Day. The prawns are peeled. Turkey's in the oven. Presents are all unwrapped. And yeah, Uncle Tom, he's probably had a few too many frothy ones for 11am. The whole family's gathered at Nan's for what should be a fun and relaxing day, right? Well, not always. Different family relationships can sometimes make big gatherings really tough to navigate. In the new series of Mindfully, we've lined up some awesome mindfulness experts to help improve how you relate to the people you love. Plus, you'll get some great meditations to help you stay present in your relationships. You'll find Mindfully in the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. Next time on Parental As Anything, have you tried talking to your teenager while they're glued to their phone? That device goes everywhere with them and who knows what or who they're accessing on it. We know that teenagers are primed to underplay risk and and to not really get risk and also to really highly value their peers. We know that that's the way their brains work. When you couple that with a device that is basically a camera and a permanent recorder of their really stupidest moves, that is a bit of a problem. We're going to come up with some ways to help your team navigate the risks of having a smartphone. Yep, that's next on Parental as Anything with me, Maggie Dent.